Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Uh, we've a lot to get to, of course. We can't avoid, obviously, talking about coronavirus. And, of course, the UK have now introduced... Well, it's not so much a lockdown on the style of Italy and Spain but it is a very restrictive policy when it comes to maybe going for a walk twice a day, non-essential services closed, non-essential businesses closed, um, and the police ordered to give fines if indeed people don't comply. And it seems to be the only way forward because that is the strategy many countries are taking at the moment. Now, we may come along in six weeks' time and decide this strategy is not working because we don't have a vaccine yet, and at some point we all probably have to get it or we'll have maybe we'll have medication which will release leave the symptoms as we did with swine flu many years ago. All that has to be discussed because it's a learning curve for everybody. But the most important thing at the moment is, is that we follow the guidelines. Wash, wash, wash your hands. Stay away from people as much as you want. might want to shake their hand or give them a bit of a hug when you see them for the first time in ages. Just stay away from them. Social distancing is so important. So let's just try this strategy, see how it works out for us. If it works and it reduces the pressure on our health services, well and good. If it doesn't work, well then it's up to government and the chief medical officer to come up with another plan. Uh, because I know Donald Trump is going down a different route altogether next week, but we'll talk about that a bit later on. Now, we do want to talk to James Lawrence later on, who has an observation in relation to teenagers on TikTok purposely coughing in each other's faces and coughing in adults' faces. It's called the COVID challenge, which I think is disgusting and it's wrong. And he's talking about he, that teenagers should be criminally charged. And we want to ask you as well, what are you doing today? Okay, I think it would be nice if we could get some callers on the air and just tell us what you're doing to occupy your day. A lot of people are out of work. We understand the hardship that can create and the boredom as well that, that can create for your mental health. So we want to know what you're doing to occupy your mind if you're playing board games, if you're watching TV and what you're going to do if, indeed if there's a lockdown and you're a business that maybe is still open uh, and you're just about getting to work and doing your job. What are you going to do then? So we want to know how you feel about this whole thing and get your opinions on everything. So if you want to give us a call, you can. The number is 87 188 But first I want to go to Dr. Gabriel Colloran, who's the Vice President of the Irish Hospital Consultant Association. Uh, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Niall. How are you? And firstly, can I say thank you to you and all your colleagues and all the people you work with, because you are essentially our front line at the moment. You were the ones who are hopefully stopping people from dying. But that task is going to get more difficult, Gabrielle, isn't it? Well, I guess the first thing to say is that all frontline staff, and to be honest, everyone from Department of Health, the HSE, centrally. Everybody is really stepping up on this. But the reality is we will not win this in our hospitals. We will win this if we're going to come out of this with as few avoidable deaths as possible in our communities by everybody buying in. And I want to say thank you to the vast majority of people who are really buying in to the social distancing. So the HSE did an online survey and 80% 80% of people are staying at home rather than going out. Over 80% of people are practicing social distancing in queues. People are standing far, far apart from each other. And 90% know the two most common symptoms. So the majority of people are really making great efforts. And what we have to do is really convince, you know, the final few outliers to, to get on board. Because the reality is everybody loves somebody who's very vulnerable to dying from this And it's totally within our gift as a nation to slow this down and stop it in our tracks and give those of us in the hospitals 
who are putting ourselves at risk, especially the ICU nurses, the ICU doctors, the ICU physios, who are doing the really high risk work because they're the ones getting exposed to those high viral loads. And when we look internationally, those are the healthcare workers that unfortunately are getting very sick and some of those have died. So we really want to avoid all of that. But we really need the public to help us flatten that curve. And so many people have done so much already. But actually, we're going to see at each step of this that we're going to keep needing to up our game. We're sort of well. We are going to be up in the game today. There's an announcement, I think, at three o'clock today by government, and uh, I think we already assume because Leo has already ruled out a full lockdown. He said that this morning that he wants to avoid that happening. Um, But I think what he is going to say is that all unnecessary services should close down. You know, all restaurants, um, cafes, or places where people might congregate in more than two people, for example, um, would want. He would like to see them closing as well. Now, obviously, he's asking people to be cooperative. Uh, they're not bringing in the hard line of the law which is available to them right now as they have in Britain where they're bringing in fines so I don't believe he's going to be introducing that yet but he will more or less say the same thing Boris said last night I don't know whether you've seen Boris's speech last night but just without the fines and he's hoping people will comply so this is a strategy Gabrielle that may or may not work we've seen it work in China over that's provided we believe what's happening in China over the last two or three months but the problem they have said is that They've opened borders in their provinces, uh, but they haven't opened international borders. As soon as they open international borders, they are guaranteed by their own admission to have a second wave. Now, so isn't this always going to be the problem that a virus will find a way until we find a cure or a vaccine? So we're kind of stuck with it, aren't we? Well, I guess there's various different ways to tackle this. And so you're talking about the, you know, the method in China, mainly around suppression. And, you know, Leo Varadkar has said he really wants to follow more of what South Korea and Singapore are doing. They're getting good results. Yes, they're getting good results. And and they have an advantage over us now in that they have great experience with SARS. And so what they're doing is it's, it's the WHO guidance and it's test, treat, track, repeat. And so you need to test as many people as possible. And we're really trying to ramp up our testing. But there's huge challenges in that. You need more people to you know, actually taking the swabs. You need to have all the reagents to do the swabs that every country in the world is trying to buy up all the buffers and the ELISAs. And then you need the qualified medical scientists to actually do the test. So we're ramping this up. But, you know, there is a time lag when you're trying to get all these materials. Well, this is the problem. And and I'm getting texts from people every day saying I'm waiting five and six days to get a test. Uh, Yesterday I spoke to a person who went to hospital um, with chest pains, um, you know, uh, obviously tightness of the chest, uh, similar to a chest infection and coughing went to hospital, was told by her doctor to go straight to radiology uh, to get an x-ray of her chest. Um, radiology said they were too busy and sent her to A&E. A&E said, what are you doing here? So they gave her a mask and told her to sit in A&E. The doctors and nurses saw her, gave her a few paracetamol and said, we think you might have pleurisy and sent her home. And she said, are you not going to test me? And she said, no, you have to go home and ring the HSE and get what they call community testing. We don't test you at the hospital. And I'm going... But sure, why wouldn't they test her while she's there? So, so, so Niall, this is, you brought up a really big issue and it's a really important one and I'm delighted you're giving me a chance to address it. So in terms of our hospitals, what we're trying to do now is have two streams of work and that's patients who are coming in with symptoms of COVID and who are likely to have it and patients who are coming in with their heart attacks and strokes and tumours and we want to get everybody through this with the best possible outcomes and try and keep those groups as separate as possible. And that comes back to the testing aisle. And so in hospitals, and the HSE again have made big moves on this, all the testing have started in the National Virus Reference Lab each day now, 
New hospitals are saying we're doing the in-house testing. What does that do? It means you can test your inpatients and split them into COVID and non-COVID. And the other thing it does is... I'm not a doctor, uh, Gabrielle, but why wouldn't, say, that girl be tested? If, you know, she, for example, had, you know, um, obviously symptoms that would be similar. Prioritisation, Niall. Right, So okay. in the hospitals, what we need to be doing is testing the people who are sick so we can keep the two groups separate and testing the healthcare workers but so she we can was isolate sick. them or get them back. Yeah. So she wasn't well enough to be, she wasn't unwell enough to be admitted. So 80% of people with this are well enough to be at home. So it sounds like from what you're telling me, and again, without seeing her myself, I couldn't yeah, be sure course, yeah. that what she needed to be was isolating at home with paracetamol, with food, you know, and if she got worse, then she might need admission, but not now. So we need the hospital beds to be for the people who, re- who you know, really need that extra support, need the oxygen, who might need the monitors. And so ramping up the community testing for everyone else, we have to keep those workflows separate because, again, Niall, people coming in with strokes, heart attacks, with tumours, we also need to be given the best yeah, Because I think we, we forget we about that. the COVID-19. Oh, I tell you, we're not forgetting no, about No, no, no. What I'm saying is, you know, from a news point of view and from a journalist's point of view and from the people's point of view, we forget that people are getting sick otherwise. Uh, you know, we're obsessed at the moment talking about COVID and I understand exactly. why. But we also, there are people who are just getting other illnesses at the moment. And, and Niall, for us as healthcare workers, one of our big worries is that somebody might be staying at home with symptoms of a stroke or a heart attack and waiting too long because they're afraid of getting COVID. So I'd really like to get the message out to people. If you have significant symptoms of a heart attack or a stroke and in normal circumstances, you'd be going to the emergency department, please still come because we're doing everything we can to stratify those Mm. groups. And most hospitals have now split beyond call. So if you're coming in under a medical team, they're dividing the patients into COVID and non-COVID and going in under different teams to really try and keep those two things separate. But one thing, Niall, that I think would be of interest to your viewers is, you know, you were sort of asking me earlier, what's the magic bullet? Where can we up our game to really get ahead of this? And what we need to do is use the technology. So there's a group of volunteer software engineers, and they have developed an app that if it's used by the government, used by the HSE, and downloaded by the country, they will track all our movements. So say, Niall, you and I were, you know, met for walk past each other in the street today and five days later you test positive for COVID-19 all that data will have been anonymized but then I would get a text message saying you were close contact with someone they're doing this in Singapore and Beijing already they're doing this in Singapore they're doing it in South Korea and if we do that here in combination with really ramping up the testing what that might will do for us is that we'll start diagnosing people before they infect other people when they're and I think that's a wonderful idea and I agree with you and I think that, I think going forward because obviously businesses can't close forever I think going forward that's a wonderful idea and at least we all know where somebody is we and can so avoid the area. you were asking me how can we you know in terms of doing different from China and you know I, But we, do we all you know, know Gabrielle the point I was trying to make is that's a wonderful idea and I think it's great but do I do I not get the impression that at some point unless there's a vaccine available and there's no good news so far on the horizon maybe nine months away or ten months away do we all not have to get it at some point? So again, they've done loads of modelling on this and there's you know, various permutations of will 80% of the population get it, will 30% of the population. And there's a massive difference to how many people die, how quickly people get this. So you're very right, Niall, when you say we really want to you know, get through this with the minimum amount of people dying. And when we get to a point that there's a vaccine, then we'll be encouraging people to get the vaccination. And I'll definitely be getting it and I've no doubt you will be getting it. Mm-hmm. But if, if this spreads through the country like wildfire, 
then, you know, the reality The health service is, will be on its knees, of course. We yeah. have the lowest hospital beds in Europe with the lowest number of consultants. We've half the number of ICU beds at the European average. If we try to take this battle into the hospitals, too many people will die that should not die. But, you know, the reality is we didn't pick this fight, but we can fight it together and we can mm-hmm. really succeed and we can, you know, I'm really aiming that we try and get our mortality under 1% so that we save as many people as possible. Well, we're, we're, at, we're, we're kind of at that point at the moment. Our mortality rate, thankfully, is quite low at the moment. Um, and we have to also consider that although we have 1,200, well, roughly 1,200 cases in in the Republic of Ireland, um, there are probably somewhere in the region of five or 6,000 people have it but just don't know they have it or have had it already and have recovered and probably just didn't see many symptoms, including so children. The, the, rea- the reality is, Donald, until we can actually do an antibody test to look for immunity, and until we have massively ramped up our testing, we don't know what the prevalence of this is in our population. And, and so I know what, there's, there's two Irish guys at the moment working on a 15-minute test which uses blood, a drop of blood, and they believe they're going to be successful in releasing that particular test kit within the next couple of weeks, which is certainly going to help everybody. But in relation in relation to, let me get back to you guys and what you do, and, and you're in and out of the hospitals all the time, and you're, you're, you're on the wards and you're seeing what's happening. What is the state of the healthcare system at the moment? And I mean the people working. They must be run ragged. So what I'm seeing, Niall, is that this COVID-19 challenge has really galvanised everyone to work together to get through this as best we can. So I'll give the example of where I'm working in the National Maternity Hospital in Hollow Street. Three weeks ago, they set up a COVID team. They meet every day. At that point, we had only one negative pressure room. So those are those isolation rooms where you really want when somebody has an infection that you don't want spreading that, you know, that can be aerosolized. Our management team, our construction team, our engineers went out and they have now built a hospital within a hospital. We have a delivery suite. We have a ward. We now have 22 negative pressure rooms. They did all that in under three weeks. So we can now really confidently say to pregnant women that are coming into our hospital, whether they have symptoms of COVID-19, whether they've been diagnosed with COVID-19, or whether they're actually perfectly well and worried about going into hospital. We now have two totally separate pathways. We're very well prepared for dealing with both, and we are enthusiastic and looking forward to looking after people. So that's that's the hospital that I'm working in, and that's what's being replicated across the health service. I don't want, though, to, to create the impression that this isn't going to be a massive challenge. It is. Unless we shut this down in the community, our hospitals will get overwhelmed. So those of us at the front line, especially the colleagues in ICU, who are a huge personal risk themselves. Absolutely. We, they're putting we, themselves at, they're putting themselves yeah. at risk because and so we're, they're we're doing that for you because we really care about our patients, about our country. So many people in the community are stepping up exactly the same. So many businesses have taken a huge hit by voluntarily closing. So what we have to do now is We need to get through this as quickly as we can, get the country back on its feet so that everybody gets through this in the best possible way. Because obviously people who aren't working can't pay mortgages, can't pay rent. There's a huge impact on people's health, mental health, you know, the the societal impact of that. So I think, Niall, the key is using the technology, ramping up the testing and using the technology so that as soon as somebody gets a positive test, we can rapidly contact trace everyone who's been near them, shut it down and stop the spread. And that's how we... So you stop that cluster, essentially. You stop Uh, that cluster. And so, you know, asymptomatic transmission, somebody who feels very well but is actually shedding the virus, 
what we want to do is get ahead of that and it's the technology that's going to enable us to do that so if i had one message for people because i know people say oh you know the gdpr concerns about sharing data no, I'm, I'm, person- by the way i'm looking at some of the texts coming in somebody says nobody is monitoring my movements but in saying that i think sometimes you know i understand gdpr i understand you know everybody's data needs to be protected and you are saying it's been anonymized in other countries to do it and i know they've exactly. mentioned it in the uk there i know the uk are working closely with three at the moment uh, the three network because your mobile phone tracks your movements all the time and what they want to do is they're, they're trying to monitor the movement of people in general to see where people congregate, to see where groups of people are. To Could see- I give you an example, Niall? So if we saw, I'm sure you saw the same photo I saw of hundreds of people in a queue for a chip shop. If those people had an app on their phone that said there have been 15 new cases of COVID-19 diagnosed in the area where you are now, do we think the queue would have stayed full or do we think people would have gone home and pulled out McCain oven chips from the freezer? And absolutely, the, the McCain's oven chips would be out. And I, and I completely <laughs> understand what you said. And by the way, getting back to your staff and the people who are putting themselves at risk, I mean, and I've been listening to doctors talking about it, and, and I have to say my heart goes out to them because they know themselves they're putting themselves at risk. It reminds me a lot of, uh, we're in, somebody mentioned the other day, we're in World War II economics, right? But it, it's similar to the men and the women who went out fighting the war. I mean, they put themselves at risk to protect the citizens of the country, you know, and many of them died, of course course, and many people will die. And many healthcare workers will probably die over the coming months as well, because some of them, uh, they're not immune to it, you know, although they have all the protective gear on them and everything else, they're still not immune to it. And tw- I think it was 20% there recently of our new cases were healthcare workers. So, so it's actually 25% Niall, and that's why the personal protective equipment is so important, because we know that makes a massive difference in terms of transmission. So the HSC are working really hard to try and secure more personal protective equipment, those of us on the ground know it's in short supply now. I know, um, I saw on Twitter there recently, Paddy Cosgrove had actually organised a delivery to come to Ireland. Uh, I don't know him personally, but I'm really impressed with that. And I know the frontline staff definitely really appreciate that because there's, there's such a shortage worldwide now of the personal protective equipment that, you know, our procurement team are amazing and they're going to keep trying to get us as much as possible. But depending on how big our outbreak is, it's actually very hard to guarantee that we will have enough. So if we're short, we really have to prioritise the people who are most at risk, and that's the doctors and the nurses and the physios and ICU. And then different rates of personal protective equipment, depending on what you're doing. So say I'm a radiologist, so when I'm doing an ultrasound, that's a low-risk procedure for what we call aerosol, um, aerosol generation. So it's okay for me to have a surgical mask and a regular gown, but if I'm a doctor in ICU and I'm intubating, there's a lot of aerosol, a lot of risk, a high viral load. That's when I need to have the goggles, the visors. The yeah, I mean, if, you, if, you're going to be, if you're going to be inserting a ventilator tube and using your yeah. hands to do that, obviously you have to be well protected. Because yeah. the last thing we want, and I'm not saying that you know many people in healthcare will die, and hopefully they won't, is that we don't want people in healthcare having to isolate themselves for 14 days because that's less staff to deal with the problem then, of course. That's the problem too, isn't it? And so again, Niall, you know, the HSC and the hospitals are really pushing on this because we were doing the testing just in the National Virus Reference Lab and now many hospitals, including actually today in the National Maternity Hospital, we're now testing in-house. And so that means we can rapidly turn it around. So I myself had a cough, so I was in self-isolation last week waiting for a swab, um, which thankfully was negative, and then I was you know, straight back into work. But if that happened this week, there'd be a much faster turnaround. So, 
you know, we have... How long does it take, by the way, how long does it take to get it? Because I've seen famous people and politicians across the water, like Angela Merkel and Donald Trump and other people, you know, uh, saying, I got a test this morning and that afternoon they're telling us it was positive or negative. So how long does it take... What's the minimum amount of time it takes for the, the moment, you know, this uh, you know, biologist or whatever it is, virologist gets the swab uh, to, to grow it in a Petri dish or whatever they have to do with it? How long, how long does that period of time take? Do you, don't, do you know offhand how long it takes? So I was referred by my occupational health department on the Monday and then I got contacted by the testing centre in St. Michael's on a Wednesday. So then one of the healthcare workers there swabbed me and then the medical scientist in the laboratory there did the test and I got the result on the Thursday afternoon. Okay. But my understanding is, Niall, they're prioritising the very sick in hospital, because, again, trying to keep those two streams separate, COVID, non-COVID, and the healthcare workers to keep us at work. Because, like you said, at exactly the time where we're going to have a massive surge in work within our hospitals, in patients who need our care, we need to keep our health workers well. The PPE is a huge part of that. The HSE are working really hard on it. And all the unions and associations, you know, we want, really want to keep our members well, we want you know, and, get and of course, through this. And I suppose the final message, uh, Gabrielle, would be that you want to tell everybody listening that you want to make them, you know, get them to make your job easier. And the way to do that is that we obey or comply with the regulations that are out there and the basic hygiene regulations, which is washing hands, staying away from people. You're unsure. Well, I say you're unsure of it. Obviously, if you have a wife and kids, you can't stay away from them. But I mean, staying away from visitors to the house or staying away from people th- that you're not obviously too familiar with. I guess I'll probably go a little further and say when we look back in a year's time, it's likely that many of us will have lost somebody that we love. And, you know, let's leave it all out in the field. Let's hold nothing back. Let's hit this hard. Let's give it everything we can so that in a year's time we have no regrets and we can look ourselves in the mirror and say we did everything we could to save everybody that we could and we pulled together and, you know, we were never found wanting in standing up to this. And so, you know, this will be one in the communities. So, all of us love someone who's vulnerable and all of us are vulnerable ourselves. We have seen worldwide healthy young people with no pre-existing conditions die from this. I hope I avoid getting it myself. I hope my husband, who's a frontline healthcare worker, avoids getting it. I hope everybody I know avoids getting it. And that comes back to what we do as individuals. So just a massive thank you to your listeners and just to recognise that, you know, nearly everybody has bought into this. And, you know, the few people that are remaining, you know, some people might be just in denial about how scary this is, because in reality, a pandemic is scary. Facing the prospect that we could die ourselves is scary. But you know what? If we pull together, we can get through this, you know, and and, and finish up best in class and really show that, you know, we are a society, not an economy, and that we put each other first. Listen, thank you very much, Need. Well said, uh, Dr. Gabrielle uh, Colleran, who's a vice president of the Irish Hospital Consultants Association. I appreciate you coming on the air today. All right, now... By the way, Japan have just announced, the Prime Minister of Japan um, has said that they have now confirmed that the Tokyo Olympic Games will be postponed until the summer of 2021. Uh, That is Japan's uh, Olympic Games. Everybody was a bit concerned about that. I know Olympic teams were told to keep preparing themselves because Japan didn't seem to want to be cancelling it. And I can understand the reason why, because obviously... It was a huge part of their economy. They had spent billions, obviously, putting these stadiums together and getting everything ready and hotels and hospitality ready for this big event this summer in June. But now they're saying it has been postponed. 
But look, it's only postponed. It means that going forward, the Olympic Games now will have skipped a year, essentially. So the next one will be 2021, which will be next year. And the one after that will be 2025, obviously. So instead of being 2024, it's now going to be 2025. So it'll always, it'll have to move forward. I imagine that's what they're probably going to do. The same with the Eurovision Song Contest. Of course, the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, the Euros as well, the Euro Championship. So it's also being postponed until next year, too. I think that's what you're going to see with all these major events, moving them forward one year just to be on the safe side, rather than saying, Asha, we'll push it forward to July. Uh, when we don't actually know and then we'll have to push it forward again so that would cost more money invariably now what a wonderful speaker that lady is and thank you to her and all her colleagues as you rightly said who are on the front line to save our lives yeah uh, Lyle how could you please ask that lady well she's gone now uh, about the use of rubber gloves I think gloves are spreading the virus untold I've seen people using gloves in their cars what the heck a shop assistant is not changing their gloves for every person could you ask for advice that place is Adrian well Adrian I think this advice has been given out in relation to gloves already gloves are wonderful uh, particularly for people who are working, uh, I mean, we see it all the time in delicatessens. You see, you know, the young girls, guys, pardon me, after they serve every customer, they hopefully will change their gloves. Um, and I think, or they go and wash a scrub down an oven, they'll change their gloves again. Uh, and I hope they would keep doing that because they, I, they're supposed to have always done that for health and safety reasons. I think gloves are great, provided you're right are being changed because if you walk into Dunn's or whatever it is and you stick on a pair of those gloves and you're handling stuff and then you touch your face but you're, then there's no point because it can also stay on the glove but if you're walking into Dunn's and you're picking up stuff and putting it in your basket and everything else and then you get to your checkout and you pay and you take the gloves off and chuck them in the bin I think it can certainly help if that's what you're, you're saying and I think you know it won't do any harm to do it is what I'm saying. So I think gloves can be helpful. And particularly if you go into a hospital, you will see when they're using gloves, a doctor who's maybe putting in a ventilator or a nurse putting in a ventilator, they'll put the gloves on, put in the ventilator, take the gloves back off and throw them in the bin. And then when they're doing something else, they put on another pair of gloves. So that's the way it works in the healthcare system. And it does, it doesn't stop the risk, you're right, but it does certainly reduce it. But I think the overall message here is, and I think what Gabrielle is trying to get home is, we can make their job easier by social distancing, staying away from people, that doesn't mean you have to stand down the street from them, by the way. You know, you just keep your distance. They're saying about two metres is the right distance, particularly if somebody's coughing. If you're going to cough yourself, because look, we cough. We're human beings. Sometimes we have to clear our chests. doesn't mean we have COVID-19. It doesn't necessarily mean we have a cold. Or you might even just have a regular cold. If you need to cough, and there's people around, try to hold it in a bit and turn away. Walk away. Cough into your elbow. That's all you got to do. Just be conscious of other people. But I would also say to people, if you're in an environment where there is other people and you have to be in maybe an essential service and somebody coughs, they might be a smoker. They might be somebody who just has a bit of a cold. They might not necessarily have COVID-19. And they do have a little cough. Don't be looking at them like they're a pariah. As long as they're not coughing in your face or coughing near you and they're taking the proper precautions, you know, and they just give a little cough because as human beings we do that. We clear our throats and chests every now and again. You know, don't be looking at people like the priors. Let's all have a little bit of respect for people as well, for each other uh, during this crisis. Somebody says, uh, when the crisis passes, China has to be punished for it. Well, now you're going down the Donald Trump route now, aren't you? This is the second time in less than a decade a serious virus has originated there. No more, says Paddy and Cork. It's actually more than the second time. A lot of viruses have originated from China. Um, but on Unfortunately, that's just the way it is because, of course, there's a, culturally there are different people in the way they eat and the way they prepare food. Uh, now, I'll tell that lady uh, to calm down. No, I will not tell her to calm down. She's 100% right. This is the strategy we're taking at the moment. Will you agree with the strategy?
you're not as irrelevant. That is the strategy. If you don't want to get on board, well, then don't bother being part of society. Uh, the number is 087188 That's 087188 I want to get your thoughts, all right? How are you feeling today? I want to know how you're feeling. Uh, let me go to Donald. Donald, you're on Classic Kids. How you doing, Donald? How are you doing, Donald? You well? Good, Donald. It's been a while. It has been a while now, and I just want to say one thing. We have some bunch of whingers in this country. Why? And I'm not why do you joking. mean whingers? I'll tell you why now. I'll tell you why now. And do you know, do you know the people that's not whinging? It's people, and I spoke to Helene yesterday. It's people like her mother and my mother, and I'm sure even your own mother. My mother has some whinging. Well, my mother, my mother it, hasn't been with us for the last 10 years, but go on. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, well, sorry, I, I didn't know how. Yeah, but, no, but anyhow, Niall, but, but like... Like my mother hasn't gone outside the house now in two and a half weeks. Yeah. Outside the house, yes. Only out the back, she goes. And there's no whinging over. And I was talking to her the other day, and she was talking to me about the the TB. She can remember the TB as a child. That's right, tuberculosis, yeah. 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 I know. And, and a man I don't particularly like was, is Pierce Morgan, but he made a great statement. He spoke about the people back in the war days, they had to go out and face tanks and bullets and the Nazis and everything else like that. We're asking people to go home and sit down and watch Netflix. And they're whinging. Yeah, no, you've got, you've got a really good point. It's not much to ask of people. It isn't really. No, uh, no, but they, I, I, but I, I suppose from a person's point of view, there, there is a case where you've got a guy or a girl who has yeah. a business, um, you know, self-employed, yeah. and, and, and they're financially concerned. Yeah. And, I, and I understand that. But let's be clear about it. You will have no, if you die, you will have no money to spend. No, I, I tell you, and I tell you another thing, as far as talking to children, there's some children, and I hear psychologists and things like that. Now, people will tell me they know better, but I don't think they do. I think you're going to have to be upfront with children as well. This is so... Like, do you think, do you think children people. are taking it seriously? When I say children, you know, the, the 12 and 13-year-olds who are yeah. still running around the kind of streets playing, chasing, yeah. and do you, are they well, taking it seriously enough? No, no, but I, I think they're being mollycollied about it. I think they're being mollycollied, and it's and not a time for that. And I, look at, I, 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 I never understand it. Like, like I, I went up to Keeper Hill. I go up there every single day. It's the tallest mountain in Tipperary with my dog. I go up there every weekend. I had to come away over it last Sunday morning. The crowds that was up there. I came across one family. I counted them. Nine people. Now, they weren't all the same family. And the reason I know that was because there was a couple of black young fellas in the crowd with them. You know what okay, I mean? Okay, so yeah, I assume, yeah. and the two parents were white. I, can't, I, I don't know, I, I don't know I why that would I, indicate, but yeah, okay, all right, no, I, 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 get, I, I get the I, point you're making. You, you, you don't believe they're all part of the same family, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. So I went down and I said to them, what are you doing? Are you stone mad? And she said, first of all, I was told to mind my own business. I said, well, it is my business, I said. It is my business. It's everyone's business. Said, you're sitting down there, I said, you're actually touching each other, some of you. Hmm. I said, have you no cop on? And what's it all that was said to me? What do you think we're supposed to do with our kids? There's no creches open or anything. So what I said was there, there you have it, I said. The creches, are, the creches reared your kids and now you don't know what to do with them. So you, you think there are a cohort of people who think this is not going to affect me, Sir Sherfeckett? But, but they're thinking that they're just so selfish, they don't care. Well, I, I, I thought what happened last weekend in a lot of cases was absolutely selfish yeah. because people saw, well, a lot of people saw this as a, oh, it's like a bank holiday weekend, I can go off and have a bit of crack. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to have to bring it, the lockdown will have to come. Yep. It will have to come. Well, I, I, I know yeah. Leo Varadkar said this morning, and, and in fairness, Britain haven't gone into complete lockdown, but, it, but yeah. they, they're close to it, right? And Leo yeah. said he wanted to avoid that at all costs yeah. um, because he didn't believe that strategy worked. Um, um, and he, well, this was what he suggested. He was looking at the Korean yeah. model instead, which is testing yeah. more people and contact tracing and all that. And in fairness to Korea, they seem to have a good handle on us, right? Have nice, but, yeah. but nice. 
it's working. It, it has. It, it seems to be working in Italy. There's some. There's a sprinkle of, of good news coming out of Italy, like at the moment. Like you know what I mean? Like, the, 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 the the death rates are coming down, and that's true to the. Now we have to. I was honestly have to say, and I don't want to make one other point. Well, what worries case. me, and I, I don't disagree with you, uh, and yeah. you know, and I think if this is the strategy we're taking, I'm happy, like everybody else, to comply yeah. with it, and let's see where it goes, and let's yeah. hope that it takes the pressure off the health service. I understand the strategy and why we have this strategy, right? But in Italy's case, for example, I mean, uh, and Italy obviously is the extreme case, certainly uh, around the world because of the elderly yeah. population, right? And the cultural fact that they live together with their parents and their grandparents and all that kind of thing. But I, what worries me is, is that, right, let's say the lockdown works in Italy and, you know, yeah. and they reduce the debt rate down to, let, let's say, theoretically zero, right? Yeah. Uh, from COVID-19. Uh, and their cases drop down to zero. So what happens then? Do, do they leave their airports closed? Do they not allow well, anybody else into the country? Because at well, some point it has to happen again. Yeah, well, you see, we have this going on in China now, like. They're yeah. going to open up that province. Now, what way are they going to deal with it? Are they going well, to they're not, up Well, they can't country? open up international borders because yeah. they've said yeah. themselves that if yeah. they do, a second wave will happen. But of course it will. Well, we're going, we're going, I think we're going to have to take their lead on this. We really are. In China. But now, I want to make, like, there's two things hurting this country. It's yeah. the medical side because... Every single one of us, and I'm convinced that somebody is going to, it's going to affect everybody in the country because somebody, people is going to die, and we're all going to know one, at least one of these people that's going to die with this. This is what I. Think. Well, the only thing that's going to help us uh, realistically, apart from strategy, will all the strategy we were adopting at the moment, which is a kind of common strategy around Europe at the moment, that's going to slow it down, right? Uh, yeah. Which takes the pressure off the health service, so we can deal with people uh, and people don't die unnecessarily, right? Yeah. Uh, because generally speaking, it, it is only affecting people with underlying conditions or who are elderly, right? And I'm not devaluing them in society. They're very valuable in society and we'd normally be able to save people and we should continue to try to do that. But I think the only thing that's going to help us realistically is either medication that's going to take away the symptoms and yeah. a vaccine. And that's, is, that's what we have to sit down, kneel down and get our hands together for. Because it is now because triage is going to come in. Well, I, and unfortunately, I don't ever want to see a doctor in a situation where he says, there's eight people here, I have one ventilator, uh, you know, seven of them are going to die. Well, but stay there for a second, Donald, uh, because yep. I want to bring James in. James, you're a classic kid. Say to James. Uh, good afternoon to you, Niall. Uh, James, nice to talk to you. <laughs> you're all doing a great job there, I must say. I'm listening to you every day, and uh, you're doing a magnificent job of getting all the right people on and giving out information out to the people. Well, that's that's what we need, information, isn't it? Yes. That's what people need. They need to be informed. They need to know what's going to happen next and when it's going to happen. I was watching your man last night on the recording of him, uh, Professor O'Neill. I think you were talking with him the other day. Yes. A very impressive man. Uh, he is. Well, he's, he says it as it is. Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people don't realise this man is actually world-acclaimed professor now. Oh, he is, yeah. Oh, yeah. But strange enough, he was saying last night, Niall, that he's very hopeful that in, maybe by the middle of next month they will have an antiviral medicine. And, and, and that's, this is great, okay? And, and I've heard these stories too. There's four or five different ones being worked on presently at the moment. They've had great success with one or two of them and there's, they're doing clinical trials. And I know they've changed the regulations around uh, the clinical trials to try and speed it up a little bit, but obviously being cautious because we don't want to have a disastrous oh, yes. situation where it actually does more damage to people. So, but the problem is that when it becomes available... We have 8 billion people in the world. Oh, yes, that's the thing. They said they'll have to be, they'll have to really ramp up producing it then now and, and, and getting it to the hospitals. Yeah. But he was uh, at least, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, bit of hope 
And, and there's also two medications. There's a medication for malaria and there's also a medication for um, rheumatoid arthritis, which they believe is having a great effect on reducing symptoms. Yeah. Well, Donald is right there, Niall. We've had the same experience down here in Cork. All the beaches were packed at the weekend, Niall. The local people who live there all year round, they couldn't believe it, Niall. They said they wouldn't see these crowds on the bank holiday weekend. Well, that's what it was like, a bank holiday weekend. And there was, there was people coming along, which they shouldn't be doing, setting up coffee stalls and... I know, I know, I heard a counsellor from Donegal and a counsellor from uh, in around the Aran Islands begging people, will you please stay away from us? I saw it on Sky News in the small little villages and towns. They were saying, will you stop treating this like a holiday and coming to visit us? Can I get get in there with the Aran Islands? Yeah. Now, I go out to, I mean, like, my my whole job for the summer is is tourism, okay? Yeah. With German tourists, right? And I go over to the Aran Islands at least 10 times during the summer. Now, I won't be this year, obviously. But the, the, the islanders are giving out about people coming over. Why the hell are them ferries still running over to the islands? Well, I mean, so much to bring locals back and forward and supplies no, as but they would no, normally. I know for, yeah, but I know for a fact, a local pays less to go on the ferry than a person that's not from the islands. So they have ID to say they're from the islands. Why the hell are they letting other people onto them islands? That's like we done with letting in the 3,000 Italians into this country. There's not one it's good point. Yeah, 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 it's, a good, it's a good point. And, and the island, of course, does have an elderly population. There, there are a yes. lot of older people on the island. Not one case in the island. And what are they doing? They're, they're, they're letting people onto it. And I just want to make one more point. This is going to be a financial thing. And you brought it up yesterday. Now, I don't like Sinn Féin, but I really admired Mary Lou MacDonald's interview that you done yesterday. She... She was dead right, and I agreed with every single word she said. Yeah, well, I, 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 you know, I do tend to, be, I, I don't, I do tend to dislike politicians generally, and yeah. I'm always very cynical of them, yeah. uh, and you know, and particularly as well, Sinn Fein, and you yeah. know, and sometimes Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael as well. But yeah. in saying that, I have to say I agreed with almost everything she said. No, yesterday. she had an opportunity to get political yesterday, and she didn't. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, no, I, I do, I do like Mary Lou. She's a nice person. I don't always like Sinn Féin's policies, but then again, I don't always like Fine Gael's policies I'm sure, I'm sure Mary Lou is a fabulous woman and a fabulous mother, and I have no doubts about it. I just disagree with her politics, and that's fair enough. Yeah, but, but what I'm saying, but, but I asked ask all the politicians in Tipperary on Facebook the one simple question. This country is going to be financially strapped. Now, not one politician, not one TD, has offered to take a significant pay cut. Not one. And why? That's what I don't understand. They, they're saying that we're all in this together. How in the hell can they say that? Yeah, well, they take 80% or 70%. And by the way, there's an announcement tomorrow in relation to that, I believe. Regina Doherty has accepted that the €203 Euro is not enough for people. And there's a suggestion tomorrow that the government may go to 60 or 70%, as Sinn Féin has suggested, of people's salary, as in the 80% of the UK. Lads, thank you very much indeed, James. I'm sorry I have to cut everybody a little bit short, but I have a lot of people to talk to today again. Now, Leslie Grace is on the line. Leslie, you're on Classic Kids. How are you, Leslie? Um, I'm okay. Not the best I've ever been. All right, okay. But originally, um, originally from Limerick. How long are you? In, how long are you in, living in Australia now? Um, I've been here pretty much a year now. Um, yeah, I've pretty much finished my first year, and I'd be due to start my second year in April. Okay. And are you on a what, what sort of visa are you currently operating on? The first working holiday visa. Okay. All right. Okay. So. You're now stuck there, and you want to come home, but unfortunately, all the flights are cancelled. Yeah, I don't know what's happened. Like, I think Australia's a bit behind um, everyone else in the world in terms of... Your, your phone line is very happening. muffled. Leslie, your phone... I know where it comes yeah, the, the case that everyone wants to get back, and now no one's realised that it's now impossible. Right, okay. It is quite impossible at the moment, but your phone line is a little bit muffled, Leslie. Maybe, are you on a speaker or something like that, or... No. 
Now, can you hear me better now? Yeah, that's a little bit better. Okay. Now, you've already spoken with the Irish Embassy, who advised you uh, that they have assurances that flights through Doha will run, and they'll try to book one of these urgently. But when you looked it up, there was no flights available until the weekend, and they are starting at a mind-boggling cost of ten and a half grand. They're astronomic, yeah. It's crazy. Um, And, like, when I was in the airport this morning, so I was due to get a flight out with Emirates this morning, um, to Dubai, and then they wouldn't let me on that flight because they'd cancelled the second leg from Dubai to Dublin. Um, but when they were there, they had contacted someone in Dubai who had pretty much said that all of the UAE is closing, um, that Doha's going to be following suit, and all these different things. So there's a lot of different information coming from everywhere. Um, the embassy have said that Doha are supposed to be running and have advised me to try and get on one of those flights, but there's not a hope in how I can afford that kind of money, particularly as I've already paid for flights with Emirates. I then paid for flights with BA, um, and Emirates have come back saying, one person said that there's not going to be refunds, that they're going to give travel credit, which isn't ideal for a company that's not operating at the minute. Yep. Um, and then another one said that potentially they will give refunds, but it's going to be up to 90 days before they're processed. Right, that's going to be difficult. Okay, so, so the, the options available to you, are staying in Australia, is that an option for you at the moment? Because realistically, I don't want to be putting timelines on this, but you know, I can see this going past, say, two and a half to three months. That's I'm looking at the outside the box. That's the furthest, you know, short term, maybe a month. So, I mean, is it yeah. possible for you to stay there and just kind of batten down the hatches? I mean, do you have money or are you still working? Are you doing a bit of work or can you get a bit of work or is there any work to be got? Things are pretty intense at the minute. Um, everyone's losing jobs at the front and centre. Um, in terms of getting jobs, there was something like 36,000 people applied for 5,000 jobs in their equivalent of Tesco's. This okay. week, just for temporary roles while things are crazy. So there's about a one in seven chance of getting a job in the likes of Tesco's. Um, I had a job up until last week when I decided to go home. I then quit, left where I was living, like moved everything, um, came to Sydney to get this flight. So, no, I currently don't have a job. I've spent half my savings on the flight, which I now can't get this money back for. for and and how much money? Do you, I I don't want to know physically how much money you have. That's your own business. But do do you have enough? How long? How long do you think you can last on the amount of money that you have? It's really difficult to say because I'm staying in hostels at the minute, which are like they're good value because. The fact that so many people have left, but equally they're not sure how long they're going to remain open because okay, okay. financially it's not very viable for them and they don't know what the government instructions are going to be on the next wave of lockdown. Um, so it's really hard to know. And how are you, how are you coping yourself? There, but how? realistically, they're either losing jobs at the minute or like if someone wants to get sick or something like that, like no one really wants to have extra people living with them at the moment. Of course, yeah, of course. What's yeah. going on? And how how are you coping personally? I mean, it must be awful going through this without your family, obviously, because your family are here in Limerick, obviously. I mean, it must be quite lonely yeah. dealing with that on your own. It's awful. It's so stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you try to not speak too much 
to people at home about it because it's so stressful and you don't. Well, want because to every time you try to talk to them, you start crying again. Worry, yeah, you're get, <laughs> you're probably getting upset yeah, every time you talk to them. And I know everybody kind of your family probably feel helpless in Limerick that they can do nothing to help you. I mean, for the first time in their lives, they can they all they can do probably is get you a bit of money if they can do that to you. But they they can't do pretty much more than that. They can't get you back home, and they just want you back home, and you just want to be home. And it's a really tough. I mean, we spoke to a, we spoke to a couple of them uh, yesterday in Peru. Now, eventually, they, uh, Simon Coveney said he's organising a chartered flight for those people. But again, you're in a similar situation. Is there is there any other, or have you spoken to people maybe on a group chat? Is there any other people in your situation, Leslie? There's a lot of people in the situation. Um, there's people pretty much in all the different territories, but they're closing the borders between them all. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be a simple, straightforward way of getting out for anyone if there was. And has they, uh, the consulate, the Irish embassy, the consulate, have they not said, well, look, if we can get enough people together who need to get back or want to get back, that we can organise, as, as they did yesterday from Peru, some sort of chartered flight or something like there's that? so little information about everything. Um, like I've contacted local politicians at home. I've contacted the embassies here. Like they're not even taking calls generally here. You've got to leave voice messages, and they come back to you. Okay. Um, so they came back to me today about a message I left here three days ago, and basically the information they had was that get on that flight to Doha um, and hope for the best if you could afford it. Yeah. Um, other than that, they're they're looking into all sorts of things, but because things are changing so rapidly in different jurisdictions. Like as soon as they're trying to make plans, suddenly that's pretty much fallen through because another airport is closed or something like that. Yeah. But realistically, the only way that they would probably have of getting around it is doing what the likes of Qantas has done. So they're taking people from like Sydney, they're taking people from other places, flying directly to Darwin, keeping people on board the flights, refueling the flights from there and flying direct to like London or somewhere in the... Yeah, I have heard of people getting back through London, but but I think the London situation might come to an end now today, obviously because the announcement in in, in the UK yesterday. I know, and it does mention here on on your site as well, that you're an emotional wreck and your stress levels have gone through the roof and you're you're getting panic attacks. And I can't, I'm not surprised because obviously you you kind of feel like you've been abandoned and you're all alone. And I understand that that must be a horrible feeling because you feel helpless. You know, it's not really money, it's just helpless, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but look, I, I'm really it's sorry to hear this, Leslie, and I know there's a lot of people in your situation in different countries around the world currently who want to be repatriated at the moment, and it's very difficult, I suppose, yeah. for the government to organise everybody, but the only thing I could suggest is that if you try to get, you know, a WhatsApp group together of enough people who all have a common goal, um, you know, that's what they did at the people in Peru, there was 126 of them, and or I think it was a bit more than that, actually 150 people of them, and uh, Simon Coveney organised the, the charter flight, and I think that's probably the only way out of it, but I, look, I wish you well, Leslie, and, and I hope that you manage to get back to your people in Limerick, I'm sure they miss you as much as you Thank miss you. them. All right. Yeah, definitely. Thank oh, you so much. All right, Leslie, and I wish you well. And, and hopefully when you get home, you'll give us a ring and talk to us. All right. And I hope <laughs> I, I hope, hope you'll take a deep breath every time you feel those panic attacks coming on. And, <laughs> and, and think that, look, <laughs> there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It will all come to a point where it'll all stop and you'll, you will be able to get back point. to us. Yeah. Uh, let me go to Peter first. And I want to go back to Leslie Ann because, Leslie Ann, you're still there from Australia. God only knows what time, yeah. of, the no- what time of the night is it in Australia. Or Sir Leslie Grace. What time uh, is it? Ten past midnight. Ten past midnight. Well, well, hang on for a second because I've also got Peter on the line. Oh, have I got Peter? Are you there, Peter? 
Okay, I'll come back to Peter in a second. Um, because I, I know Peter is willing to offer a little bit of help to you. Now, I don't know exactly what part of Australia he's in and what part you're what part What part are you in, by the way? What part of Australia, Leslie? I'm in Sydney. Okay. And, I, I mean, Australia is a huge big place. So he just rang up there a few minutes ago. And I know he wants to make an offer as well. Uh, because there are a lot of people are texting in, obviously, are very sympathetic with the situation that you happen to be in at the moment. Uh, Peter, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Peter? Good day, how's things? You're well. Good day, Peter. Good day. You've got the good day going on, huh? Good day. Peter, I mean, you've heard Leslie Grace's story, you know, she's going through an awful lot there because she's kind of on her own, I suppose, in some sense, you know, that she feels abandoned more so than anything else. What can you do or how can you help? Yeah, look, look, I really feel for a story. Like, I'm living on the opposite end structures on this where I'm living in Ireland, but, you know, I'm settled here, which is a little bit different to her circumstance, but... Um, Look, it, it, I, I know a couple of businesses, depending on where you are, that could probably help you in getting uh, sort of like a casual work just to keep you tipping and places for you to stay. If you want to get in touch with me directly um, by WhatsApp, uh, we can have a little discussion. I know we don't want to get our private lives on air, but um, it, depending on where you are, I'm more than happy to see what I can do to give you a hand. Um, Okay, uh, and you, you mentioned asking as well, you might be able to uh, afford somewhere for her to stay and a job for her to keep her going just through this tough time. Oh, 100%. Like, I, know, I know a fair bit of... Look, I've worked in the retail sort of sales industry for over 25 years here and in Australia, so I know a few people who are looking for sort of casual warehouse staff, depending on... See, I don't know what, what state you're situated in. That's the other difference. Yeah. Um, I could probably do something if she's in Victoria or, or, or Sydney. Um, but otherwise... Yeah, I'm um, in Sydney. Yeah. Right, um, I might be able to do something there. I've got um, a friend of mine who actually runs a food service business in Victoria and through his Sydney uh, warehouse in New South Wales, so he might be able to do something there for you and hook you up in accommodation locally. Um, so if you want to get in touch personally, I can give you all these details. I can get in touch with him, let him know you're calling, um, and I'm sure he'll be happy to help you. So how, um, does, how does that... Does that would that, be incredible. That would be a bit of light in the tunnel. I mean, it doesn't get you home, Leslie, but at least it ties you over because, as I said already, this can't go on too long because the, the economy of the world can't, uh, you know, obviously can't withstand this. So it has to come to a point, you know, maybe in two months' time where we, we reassess the situation and how we're tackling it and the flights will probably come back again and you'll be able to get back home. But at least at least you, you might have something to keep you going, somewhere to stay and a job to give you a few quid every week. Definitely. Thank you so much. Yeah, look, I know it won't be be a pot of gold, but it'll be something just to keep your mindset at ease. Just say, yeah, I've got a bit of pocket money here and there to be able to do stuff. Um, And, you know, he'll probably give you something. Look, it could be anything from eight hours a week to 20 hours a week, depending on how busy he is. But he'll he'll he'll, uh, look after you. So, um, yeah. All right, well, look, well, look I, what I'll it's do is I, I'll pass, we'll get Ashling to, to talk to both of you and make an arrangement for the two of you to hook up, all right? Yeah, and, and I wish you, you wish so you well, much. Grace. Okay, our Leslie, should I say? And I wish you well <laughs> as well, Peter. Thank you very much indeed, Peter. You're a very kind offer, and I'm, I'm glad, you know, that that's what Irish people are all about, by the way, and Australian people. We like to help each other, all right? Thank you, Peter. No Appreciate worries. it. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.